Today we're beginning a series called God's Step War. You've seen a little bit about it. Um, we've probably seen some announcements that have been kind of flying around. Uh, today is uh, it, it, it's a six-week thing. Today is kind of the overview, kind of the launching point um, for this series. Um, next week and the weeks after that, we're going to talk about more specific things, uh, dealing with those things that we've wrestled with in our walk of faith, the things that maybe keep us from devotion, surrender, um, and, and, and so we'll get more specific as we go along in the weeks ahead. The intention, the, the purpose, and the goal of this series is that we take an honest look at our own heart and that we identify the things that keep us from total surrender and devotion in our walk with Christ. And identifying this, taking an honest look at our own heart, confronting idols. We'll get into that in a moment. And so what do I mean by that? There's a, there's a battle that raises in each one of our hearts. And we need, we need to understand that it is a spiritual battle. Paul said this. He said, you wrestle not against flesh and blood. But how much in our lives do we make it about flesh and blood? If that person wouldn't have done this, if that person would do this, and we make it, again, we, we, we try to come up with human solutions to spiritual problems of that side and this side. And, and even the political sphere, is, as Steve and I were talking about the other day, it's interesting when you watch any kind of mountain news program, and it, very rarely do you see two people that are debating, you have this side and that side, but one of them goes, you know what, I think you're right about that. I'm completely wrong. I think I'm just going to recant everything that I have said up to this point, and I think I'm wrong. If you see that, let me know. I would love to see that clip. It won't happen. It's just talking points. Bang, bang, bang. And we just keep throwing it back. And, and, and we forget to look at our own hearts. And I'm so guilty of this, too. We forget to look at our own hearts and say, God, what are you saying to me? What are those things in my own life that keep me from devotion? Not when you hear something that you go, man, that's really good for you. You need to listen. It's so that we take the honest look at our own heart. But there is a battle in us with two opposing forces. The, the first is the person that God has called each of us to be. That we were created to be in relationship with God through Christ, Christ ultimately to bring glory to Him by how we live our lives. By the, everything that we do, day in, day out, that we live for Him to bring Him glory, to love Him, to serve Him, to surrender to Him and His ways. Your way, not my own. That's the first thing that's going on. And, and if you belong to Christ, there is that spirit man in you that says, I want to live that way. But there is another, there's another force that opposes what I just described, that sinful nature in us. And it's just the opposite. Of, it's, it's self-serving. It's self-seeking. It's self-promoting. It makes excuses for why we can't, won't, or shouldn't live a life for God. I can't do that because of this. And we make excuses for it. Paul describes this war within us between the flesh and the spirit. No one's immune to this battle. Everyone is in that battle day in, day out. Now, there are days where it gets more intense than other days. There's some days you can go through periods of where it seems like peace. 
But there are times when the battle rages, and it's very real. There's no exemption to that battle. We're in a war, and that war is for our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 up on the screen. He says, above all else. In other words, it's like this priority. Above all else, guard your heart. The word guard there, the intention is, 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 is somewhat battle language. War language. Guard your heart. Guard it. Above all else, guard it, because for everything you do flows from it. Isn't that a pretty... It's a, it's a pretty amazing verse that, 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 that just kind of speaks into the battle that we're in. That because everything that, 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 that you are that flows from your heart, the innermost part of your being, guarded. Guarded every day. Set up those, the guards that, that says, no, we're not letting those things in here. We are letting these things, the things of God, the things that make me more like Christ, we'll let those, but we're going to be intentional about not letting these things invade us, guard your hearts. So this battle is for our hearts. And as we examine our hearts in an authentic way and recognize those things that keep us in total devotion and surrender to Jesus, we must be honest in our evaluation of what's going on. We must be honest. The things that compete for our hearts are idols. Little gods, little Jews, little gods that compete for our love, our affection, and our adoration of God. Some may say that idolatry is an antiquated idea from thousands of years ago when people worship statues of you know, gold or silver. Or, you know, the, they made the calf. And remember when Moses went up to the mountain and he got the, the, the law, the commandments from God. And down here, they were getting a little uncomfortable because Moses was taking so long. So they gather up gold from people and they put it in the fire and they shape and mold this calf and they say, well, this is God. This is the one who saved us out of Egypt and we'll begin to worship. Remember, Moses comes down and he hears what's going on and it's a big party. It's a celebration to this golden calf. And some people might say, well, idols were those things, those silver or gold things that people would worship. And those were definitely things in the, that the children of Israel dealt with, but the underlying issue was always a heart issue. It was a worship issue. The thing itself wasn't the point, but where their hearts were, that was the point. I love this quote up on the screen from A.B. Simpson. It says, as long as you want anything very much, especially more than you want God, it is an idol. And so we want to honestly evaluate our heart. The Bible has over a thousand references about staying away from idols. In fact, when Moses, again, received the Ten Commandments from God, what was the first commandment? Come on, help me out. It's, you shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. 
And so God was always reminding them of this because this was the battle. Over and over, this was the battle for the children of Israel. Do not have any other God but me. I am the one, I am the only God. That's what he continued to remind them of. Through leaders, Moses, through the prophets, over and over again, he said, this is going to be a battle for your heart. It's going to be a battle of worship for your heart, but you must not have any other gods before me. I'm the one, the only God. So this is their struggle. And you see them over and over as you read the Old Testament that their hearts were led astray towards the Bible. The culture around them. That's why God at times He would say, don't intermarry with those people. He was not talking about like biracial kind of things. He was saying, if you do, they are idol worshippers. They do not know me. If you marry into what they're doing, they're going to leave your heart for idols and turn away from me. And that was the warning. So they were warned over and over. And so, you know, their deal, it's our deal. We want to be in control of our own lives. They did not ultimately, again, it was about the heart. It was not necessarily the idol, the, the thing itself, but it was a battle of the heart. They didn't, want, they didn't want God telling them what they could or couldn't do or should or couldn't do. They wanted to be in control of their own lives. That's ultimately idols. We ourselves are the biggest idol. That will be one of the sessions that we deal with. We want to be in control. Idolatry really is about what we can control. They made that calf because we can move that calf around and we can put that calf wherever we want. We can set it up on that rock. We can move it to over here. We are in control of the calf. And so basically, we're trying to make God and say, we want to control you. You're going to do this. I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. I'm going to command you what to do. And we're going to just keep you. Instead of that, God is holy. He is awesome. He is amazing. He's the one in control. So ultimately, idolatry is about us being in control. That's why one of the prophets wrote, he said, why do you worship these gold, I mean, these, these, these statues of wood? He said, you know, you carve out and make a little statue, and with, and with the other piece, you make a, a, like a chair, you make a piece of furniture. It's the same material. That's your God. Basically, a chair. It's something that you can control. The difference between, remember, if you track along in the Bible, the good kings and the bad kings, remember what they would do or not do? It would remove idols because idolatry had crept in. And at times, in the children of Israel, had crept into a point where it had taken over. They had completely rejected God and were worshiping idols. Unashamedly. And so, the command, like a good king, he would remove the idols. But here's the, even some of the decent kings. They would maybe remove some idols, but not all idols. And they're just leaving the option open because I don't know what, what they're... Uh, maybe they were afraid. Maybe they were afraid to remove, remove them all. There's we might die, and some of them were threatened that way. Or sometimes they would remove the idols, and then they would talk about what they didn't remove the idols from the high places, those places of worship that were intended to be for God alone. That's why I love Josiah, the king. You know, 
you have you read through and aren't you so glad like if you're especially tracking along in the one year Bible, you get that with really good things and I guess I want to do that. Can I just stay here? And it goes into another one and you're like, Oh, what were they thinking? But they're thinking the same thing I'm thinking sometimes. But since you Josiah destroyed all the idols. They brought to him the law and he had it read and he said, Oh my goodness. Because his his father and grandfather were wicked. I mean, to the point where Manasseh, his grandfather, this is the king of Israel, this is God's people. Manasseh it had gotten so dark and deep into idolatry that they were offering children to this God of Moloch. They would throw live children into fire. I'm not trying to be graphic or horrific. It's in the Bible, and this is the extent of what was going to appease these fake, lifeless gods. Maybe we're not that far removed when you think about how many children have died to an altar of convenience. Something to think about. Idols. And Josiah destroyed all the idols. And it was a time of peace that was coming to him in this day. And he called the people together. And that was one of the times they had a psalm similar. And he said, We need to be right with God. We have not been doing this the right way. And so this is a common theme in the history of Israelites, and it's also our issue. It manifests differently, but it's the same battle for our hearts. The Bible says that God is a jealous God. Now that word kind of throws some people. There's some people that, I don't like that God is called jealous. Well, when you are comparing Him to human jealousy, unstable, emotional conflict, then yes, I would have any trouble. But God is not like us. That's the problem Idolatry is we can bring God to our level and we control Him and we think that He thinks like me, acts like me, and He does not. He's not unstable and it's not human jealousy if He wants our hearts because they were made for Him. And so He says, I... I, the Lord, am a jealous God because I want you for myself. And some of the prophetic writings, some of the prophets, they would even use the analogy of kind of like cheating on your spouse. I mean, that, that's some of the prophetic. He said, Israel, when you are running after other gods, it's like someone cheating on their spouse. You are running after, and God is just, He wants, He created you for Himself to love you, to give you a hope and a future, as He says in Jeremiah. But the lead up to that was some pretty hard work. I did create you for a hope and future. You need to forsake idolatry. Jesus in the New Testament. And what did he say was the greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what did he say? He said, love God with all your What God said, the first commandment, do not have any other gods before me. And Jesus says, love God with everything. Love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him with everything that you are. Don't withhold anything. Don't withhold any area of your life. 
Because all sin boiled down to its foundation is idolatry. When our hearts are drawn away from God, being first place, the things that we are drawn to become what we worship. They become our idols. They aren't idols of gold or silver or wood, but they are idols nonetheless. And I talked about this a few weeks ago in one of our questions about worship, but everyone worships. Everyone worships. Because we were made to worship us, made to belong to God. We were made to worship. We were made to know God and be known by Him, and our response to Him is worship. So every human being that has ever lived is living or will live. They worship. They will worship. Not worshiping isn't an option. It's just a part of who we are and how we are made. Even a person that rejects any kind of deity, they are completely atheistic. They worship something. I'll get into what that means in a moment. So during, again, during these six weeks, I want us to go on an honest and transparent journey together to examine our hearts, to diagnose our innermost being and root out the idols that compete for our affections for God. Because we all have those battles, and they're, and they're different. The things that I battle with may not be the things that you battle with. Some of them are common, but sometimes they're completely different. The enemy knows where we struggle. But let's fight together. Let's fight for each other to eliminate them. Let me give you a little illustration. You know, suppose you go in and have this nagging cough. If you've ever had a nagging cough, it's just not a fun thing at all. And you can't stop coughing. And, 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 and you know, and I know sometimes it's a cold, but you can't stop coughing. And you go to the clinic and you've been coughing and you're coughing and you're coughing and you're coughing. And they run some tests on you and they come to find out that you have a severe infection in your lungs. And then you, what you say is, well, I, you know, can you get rid of the cough? Can you just kind of eliminate the cough for me? And then they prescribe you some strong anti-cough thing that you can't just buy over the counter. And you take that, and it really alleviates the cough. And it really feels good, and it really, in fact, this is a moment of peace, it's a moment of rest, I can sleep through the night, I kind of... But then at some point, that cough kind of comes back on, and then we have to up the dosage, or then you, maybe you go back and you have something stronger. And obviously that would be silly if you have an infection. What they tell you is you, you have an infection in your lungs that needs some severe medication, some antibiotics that are going to fight against the infection that's causing the cough. Because what we do is we treat symptoms. And we feel better that the symptoms kind of are at bay, at ease for a period of time. I have a little rest and, you know, and thank you for the cough syrup. And they're saying, you need some antibiotics. You need something that's fighting against infection. But we historically, in our lives, we just want to treat the symptom and not deal with the problem. We like the relief we get. We like the peace that comes from 
a temporary solution, but not dealing with the real issue. Because our body's trying to tell us something. That there's an internal issue. And that if you don't deal with it, ultimately, it can make you critically ill. See, we all have that cough. People every day deal with symptoms. People are struggling with different things. It's, 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 it's a part of, part of who we are. People are hurting. There are very real things that are in our lives that we're battling, we're struggling, we're hurting, we're stressed. And we find ourselves maybe cheating. Sometimes we can get cheating, cheating on a task, cheating, but do we just sometimes cheat? in life where we don't want to really deal with things and we take the easy road. We deal with lust issues, overspending, overeating, sinful worry, sinful anxiety, quitting and giving up, self-medicating, avoiding dealing with things, constantly searching. So these are real issues and they are real battles, but they are symptoms of a greater issue. So what do we do is our tendency is to find a stronger posture that gives us a little more relief. Gives us a little more peace. But what we're not dealing with is in the infection in our hearts called idolatry. Those things that battle within us to keep us from a permanent, ongoing solution. And that is total, unconditional surrender every day of our lives to Jesus Christ. I'm going to look at a passage of Scripture from Joshua 24. The context here is Joshua's at the end of his life, and he is, you'll, you'll be familiar with this passage of Scripture. This is actually one of the texts that was used at our wedding. But in context, Joshua is talking to the people. You know, he has led them, Moses led them to a certain point. Joshua leads them into the promised land. And he's kind of giving them what he is the farewell address. He's an older man. He knows that his days are limited on the earth. And so it's kind of like if he can leave them with something. Because he understood that what was ahead of them was, yeah, there's the promised land. It's everything that God's created you to be. But there are going to be battles. There are going to be things that you're going to face that are going to be difficult. They're going to be hard. There are going to be things that are going to compete with your heart. There are going to be people that are going to try to draw you into worshiping idols. And so he's knowing that this is ahead of them. The journey's not going to be easy. And it's somewhat of a better picture of our lives that our journey is not easy. That we're going to deal with things. That there are things that are out there in our path that are going to be hard to walk through. And what does Joshua tell them? And here's what he says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. If I could give you guys something, if I could give you something to take with you, fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself today whom you will serve. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to force you. 
Nobody's going to force you to serve the Lord. If you feel like it's undesirable, if you feel like it's something that you can't do, then find something because you're going to serve Jesus. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit with us. He's not going to make us serve Christ. And he says this, but he's serving the Lord again. He says, Choose whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors serve you on the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Then he makes this declaration. He says, But for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And he's kind of putting a stake in the ground for him and his, for myself, for my life, for my marriage, for my children, for my grandchildren. There's a stake going in the ground that I will serve the Lord. And so what can we get from this passage? Number one is this, all of us are worshipers. I've said this before. Joshua presents them with four options of what gods they can choose to worship. You notice in that passage, though, there is a, there's not a none of the above choice. You know, in the test, ABC, or none of the above, or all of the above. He doesn't say that there's this none of the above. He said, you're going to serve something, you're going to worship something. You will serve something. You are serving something. The first place is, we're all worshiping. Number two, identify the gods that work for your heart. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Again, it's being very honest and transparent before God with our hearts. Here's some diagnostic questions. You can kind of look at these here. And I and that's what I encourage you to honestly and transparently look at these questions. What are you most disappointed with? Because what are we what we are most disappointed with often reveals where we have put our hope. Where we put our hope reveals our God. What do you sacrifice your time and your money for? There's an intrinsic value when we put when we put our time and our resources into something that's worth it. So that becomes our God. What do you sacrifice your time and your money for? What did Jesus say? Wherever your treasure is, there's your heart. Tied to Proverbs four, guard your heart. Jesus is talking about monetary things. He said, wherever you put your treasure, wherever you treasure, where your time, your resources, there's your heart. It doesn't take much when you talk to somebody and you get to know them where their heart is. The word serve appears seven times in Joshua's speech. Seven times. Who or what you serve is revealed by how you spend your time and money. Another question, where do you go when you're hurt? Where we go when we are hurt creates an honest moment of worship. Where do you go for comfort? Or where do you find yourself when you're stressed, anxious, when you're going through a hard day? Because it's easy when the day is going well to have the praise FM on my car and go, God, you are so good, you are amazing, and you're speeding and you don't realize it. And God is good. But where do you run in moments of tiredness, boredom, anxiety, stress? Where do you gravitate to? 
can be a God. And then the next thing we get out of this is you make a worse choice today. Joshua says, choose this day. Don't wait till tomorrow. Choose this day. The verb tense that Joshua uses for choose isn't just a reference to a choice that's made once upon a time. Joshua is saying, I choose, I chose, I will keep on choosing. That's why Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Every single day you make a choice. So choosing this day means that we thank God, we, re- we remember what God has done. Isn't it easy to focus on what we don't have or what He's not doing, what we think He should do? In verses 2 through 13 of Joshua 24, Joshua recounts recount the incredible things God has done for the people. And so we choose today to remember what He has done. And when we gather here for worship, we celebrate what God has done through Jesus. Because even if your circumstances aren't different, we can always look at the cross and say, that was done for you. You have something to be thankful for. Number two is you recognize who God is. Again, He isn't like us. Don't bring Him down to your level of understanding. Verse 19, Joshua reminds the people that God is holy and jealous. Again, not human jealousy, not unstable. But He will not share the hearts of His people and false gods. And then the next thing is smash all other gods. It's like, get rid of them. Joshua says, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. How do we smash our idols in our present day? We repent to God in honesty. That's one way. You know, He, know, he, he knows already and He loves us deeply. You're not shocking God when you come to the moment of humble confession. He's not up there going, oh, I didn't know that. What do we do about this? He's heard it all, and He loves you deeply. Another way we smash our idols is we don't make excuses and justifications for them. Well, I'm struggling, but I've got this issue in my life, however, and we go on to say, here's why I have that idol, and here's why it's okay for me to have that idol. God says, get rid Don't make excuses for it. We stop keeping those options open. I don't have to live dictated by that. So like some of the kings, they'd get rid of some, but not all. Because ultimately what would happen is another little king would come, and you have the options open for state God. Don't keep those options open. Get rid of those options for your life. Choose Jesus every day. It's not a one-time deal or a once-a-week deal. It's an everyday deal. Closing with this. One of the reasons I love the book of Ecclesiastes, and if you read that, you can get very depressed. It's kind of a hard book to read. But I believe that we have that story, and we have what Solomon did. Kind of we're reading his journal. And we have before us in Ecclesiastes that he tries all the gods. He goes to the ultimate degree of pleasure and power and all of those things. He takes them to the farthest extent. And we get to see 
And now, a few thousand years later, we get to see this man's trying of everything that we would try. And his life starts to remind us that they all leave you empty and wanting. He tried it all. And here he is at the end of his life, recounting, trying, going from one God to the next. Things that would try to bring him contentment, joy, satisfaction. All the things that this world has to offer. So, relationships. He had a thousand women at his disposal. And so he took lust and relationships to the ultimate extreme. And his, what he came out on the other side was meaningless, like chasing the wind. You never catch it. It's just going to lead you into one more lustful thing after another lustful thing after. Now you're in bondage to it, and it owns you. Well, he had more money than anyone in the world. He was the most powerful man on planet Earth. He could, they, they figure in our, in our, it's just kind of equated in our day, he could have lost a million dollars many times, and it would have been the equivalent of you and I losing a nickel in the pocket. That's how wealthy he was. So, wealth. And how many of us, we, we're not running for relationships, we're not running into lots of things we run into, well, if my financial circumstances could just change, and that would, and what did Solomon say? It's meaningless. It's like chasing the moon. I've had all of that. Because there's something still deep going on. There's that cough. There's that infection. He threw himself into hobbies. He was a, an incredible horticulturist. Built forests. He describes that stuff in his writings. And so he threw himself into his hobbies. In his intellect. Maybe ours is arts, music, sports. And again, those things aren't bad in themselves, but when they become what we worship, that's when it becomes dangerous. He withheld nothing from himself. Power. He became powerful. He could command anyone to do whatever he wanted them to do. Feasting, parties, revelry. He had parties that would last months with all kinds of Food that you can imagine. Drink, wine, he threw himself into alcohol, medication, just whatever to the ultimate extreme. And he always would say, This is meaningless, like chasing the wind. It left him empty and wanting. Unfulfilled. And so his life, again, here's a Two, two different stories. Joshua, the end of his life, as for me and my house, we were still the Lord. Solomon, at the end of his life, he's saying, he's screaming to us from eternity past, saying, I've tried it all. Don't do it. I've tried everything. You cannot try it as much as I've tried it. Don't do it. But we see it around us, going from one thing to another thing, looking for fulfillment. If I could just have that, whatever that is. If my circumstances would just change here, it would make a difference. Isn't it amazing how many lottery winners end up depressed and losing everything? That story is so common. 
But how many people are over there playing? They're going to play again. Scrap that. Scrap it. Because maybe I'll hit it big. And so many of you say, I wish I wouldn't have won. It leaves me empty, unfulfilled, and wanting. If they thought, man, if I could just hit it big. How many of us have done that? Man, whatever that need is. Man, all, God, all I need is 10 grand. If I could just get 10 grand. There are warnings in the Bible about getting money quickly. If I could just have that. What about addictions that are rampant, self-medicating that are rampant, that relationship that I have to have with that person? That power, that status, getting to that place in life. What are our idols? What keeps us from going to Jesus first? When we're stressed, tired, bored, empty, what are those things that we run to? That we don't run to Christ first. Again, those things might be enjoyable for a while, but they ultimately leave us empty, unfulfilled, and wanting. I think Solomon ended on a good note, though. Thank God. Ecclesiastes 12. This is the very end of Ecclesiastes. So we have this journal about the meaninglessness of this stuff. And here's what he says. At the very end. Now all of you heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. And so he's yelling at us and saying, from, from eternity past, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. In other words, he's saying God is a judge. He is a just judge. You are going to stand before Him and everything with that was hidden will be brought to light. Whether good, whether evil. And the Lord wants us to know that today that Jesus Jesus is enough. He wants to be our sufficiency. He's more than all that we need. And so what are those things that keep you from full surrender? What are those things that you run to very quickly that are continually competing for your heart? So I want us to take a look at our hearts today. I love one of David's songs. He says, Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me. Search me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to have the worship team come up. The way we're going to close today. So we're just going to give an invitation to you just to kind of take that honest look at your own heart. And this is not a me pointing at you. This is I'm going to join you in that. The Lord has been placing His hand on different things in my own life. And He lovingly does it because He loves us. But it's an invitation to spend just a few minutes with God. After I pray and you need to leave, God bless you. I understand that. Um, Jim had a word earlier about it allows us to, people that have been seasoned warriors, we've been through the fight. Not people that have it all together, but seasoned warriors. Some of the things that we can pray for you is what not to do. Some of us have the Solomon thing and say, I tried that. That's the redemption of God. It's to make us wounded healers to say, yeah, I was there. 
so then we can join you today praying for you. Let's say today to you